0: When the going gets tough, the tough get going. When I was a kid in elementary school, I had this this artifact that I'd love to bust out and show the youth today, because I don't know that they realize it or know exactly what this is, but it was this device that would play these things called cassette tapes. (laughs) Maybe you've heard of them. for, for the young people, those were like MP3s, except they like existed in the physical space. But So I had this little compact um, CD cassette player, and my parents gave me this uh, set of cassette tapes that was from this kind of classic old-time radio show. It was called Your Story Hour. And a lot of the episodes in this show were biographies of people Who stood up in the face of adversity and they looked out in this world and they said what is is not what should be and they went about changing it many of these people had a faith background so I kind of grew up inspired by people who stuck it out through tough times and so one of those people was Booker T. Washington, maybe you read his biography in high school, Up From Slavery, where he, at the end of the Civil War, was kind of a little boy and set out on his own to get his own education and had to fight some of the systemic racism and and get through that to the point where he got his education, started the Tuskegee Institute to empower people of color after the Civil War in the United States. That was some adversity. I was also inspired by the story of Louis Pasteur. Louis Pasteur was a pioneer in the field of science, and he worked around this thing that no one had heard of, that maybe you've heard of, called a vaccine. And so he started to pioneer a rabies vaccine, and I am very grateful that Mr. Pasteur went and did that. Um, And so he uh, he also pioneered the idea of pasteurized milk, which is also a really important thing. So he was a scientist, who went in the face of adversity. William Wilberforce, who fought to abolish slavery in the British Empire. Cory ten Boom, who held on to Jesus in one of the darkest places that has ever existed in human history, the Nazi concentration camp. And in the middle of adversity, all of these people held on to hope And they did what they could to make this world a better place. And many of their writings and their life echo forwards to today and impact how we live today. So listening to those as a kid, I also really like to listen to stories about people who face adversity today. And one of my favorite podcasts is the How I Built This podcast. And they interview entrepreneurs and founders and people who start things that we all know, like Southwest Airlines and Home Depot. And I love to hear the stories of these people who set out. Because it doesn't start out with just a nice, easy road all the way up. Just a flat, easy path, stroll in the park. No, they had these moments where the brutal facts of their reality closed in around them, and they had to keep going. One of my favorite stories has to do with the ring doorbell. Now, I know that some people in our congregation have ring doorbells, because we went and did all those worship packet things, and like laying those on your front doorstep. So some of us, I know, have ring doorbells. The way a ring doorbell works is it's a little block that you put on your, your door, and it's like a doorbell, but it hooks up to a webcam on your phone. So home security system, you press the ring button, and then the video pops up on your phone, and you get to see who's there. Um, there's a couple times where the small group that I, I, have, I host, I lead the small group, they host it, and they were like out of town and borrow, letting us borrow their living room so we could do the small group. And I went up and pressed the ring doorbell button. and had to wave at them, hi guys, have fun in Boise. But so when those ring doorbells first went out, The founder had spent years crafting this product and trying to take it to market. And on Christmas Eve, you know, this is their very first Christmas launch, which is kind of important if you're trying to sell a product, There was this little bit of code that slipped in to the production, and all the doorbells went out, and the little bit of code affected this kind of important thing where the webcam wouldn't work. Which is kind of the whole point of the Ring doorbell. So they've shipped out hundreds of thousands of units. It's not going to work. And so they're just like, we built this thing not as a software. It's not built to be updated. It's just blocks that we sent to everybody. And they go to Christmas Eve dinner just super depressed. Like we've put everything on the line here. And in the middle of it, he realizes, he's like, wait. What if we use the webcam communication to like go to the app in the back end and send the little piece of code that's going to fix it they have this idea they go try it out and it works out and so there's stories of disruption and also stories of hope that endures in the middle of disruption we're in a series here at dallas church called disrupted and we're doing that because we've all been disrupted how many of you had 2020 go according to plan Nobody! No! But here's the, uh, the, the thing I know about disruption. You were disrupted before 2020. At some point in your life, in 2019, in 2018, in all the years leading up, we have all faced disruption of different levels. Sometimes that disruption is like a 10. Sometimes it's like a 6. Sometimes maybe it's a 1 or a 2. But we always have to face adversity. That's part of life on this planet. So in this series, we have talked about how disruption causes us to go back to basics. We've talked about how having emotional, financial, and margin in our time allows us to navigate disruption. We've also talked about how disciplines can carry us through disruption. And what we're gonna come down to today, the last thing in our disrupted series, is that durable hope carries us through disruption. Durable hope carries us through disruption. And I'm going to use that phrase durable hope because that word hope gets thrown around a lot of times. And I think that the hope of the Bible is a little different than just empty optimism. Maybe you've encountered empty optimism before, where it's just like, eh, well, maybe the tire's flat on the car, but at least my engine hasn't exploded. Well, hang on. you got to address the fact that you've got a flat on your car. You can't just keep on trucking and not take care of things. And so I think that empty optimism, which just kind of throws back any of the the negatives in life and just chooses to only focus on positives, I feel like that's like the video of the raccoon who goes to wash the sugar cube in the creek. Maybe you've seen that, where there's the raccoon. He's got this like sugar cube. He puts it in the creek, and it dissolves right in front of his face. I've never seen a surprised raccoon before. And it's awesome, because the raccoon's like, what's going on? And maybe sometimes that's how you feel in life. You're like, where did this all go? I'm disrupted. So durable hope is what the Bible talks about. And I'm going to use the terms faith and hope very closely together, almost interchangeable in this lesson. Over coffee sometime, I would love to parse out like the Greek meaning of the word hope and faith in the Bible. But for today, we're just going to kind of use those in one category. And there's a story that I think illustrates what the Bible talks about with durable hope. In the book Good to Great, Jim Collins talks about what he calls the Stockdale Paradox. The Stockdale Paradox comes from the story of Admiral Jim Stockdale, who was the highest ranking POW in the Vietnam War. And he spent years in one of the worst prison camps in the Vietnam War, and they asked him, they said, how did you get through that? And in his own words, he would say, I went through that experience and came out on the other side a stronger person. And they asked him, well, what what does it take to get through that? And he said, well, I'll tell you who doesn't make it. It's those empty optimists who just based on nothing say, oh, well, it's okay. We'll get out by Christmas and Christmas comes and Christmas goes. And then they have a broken heart. They're disappointed. Because things didn't go according to plan. They, They put it out They say, oh, well, we'll get out by Easter. And Easter comes and Easter goes. But what Jim Stockdale said is that we need to simultaneously hold on to the unwavering faith that we will succeed, unwavering hope that we can get through this, while at the same time confronting the brutal facts of the reality that we live in. The brutal facts of the reality that we live in. This is how Jesus said it. Before he left the disciples, this is right before, um, right before he's about to go to the cross. He says, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Unwavering faith in the God that we believe in, in the God of this book, in the God who's been with us every step of the way through our lives, and is going to be with us tomorrow but also realizing that we live in a broken, fallen world. There are things that I really don't like about the world that we live in. There are things that I wish I could fix, and it's the same thing for you. And so there's this uh, paradox, which is two things that seem like they're contradictory, but are simultaneously true, that we have to hold on to unwavering faith while confronting the brutal facts. So what do we do when we don't feel like our hope is durable? When you're sitting there and maybe you're like up to your eyeballs in the brutal facts of the world that you live in. You say, how am I going to hang on to unwavering faith? Well, Romans 15.4 says, For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope. I'm going to read that again. That through endurance and through encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope. For some of you, maybe that discipline that you're starting and disrupted is that you are going to get into God's word every day. You're going to anchor yourself before you start your day. And what he's saying is hanging on to endurance and also looking back at what God has always been at work in. Because the story of the Bible, more than it is necessarily a handbook on do this, don't do this, is the story of God never giving up on people. Throughout this whole thing. And there's there's lots of moments where it looks bleak. But the overall thing is that God is moving his kingdom forwards. Throughout the whole story of the Bible. We're going to dig into Hebrews chapter 11 today. So if you want to go ahead and find Hebrews chapter 11 in your Bible. We did a whole sermon series on the book of Hebrews last summer. And uh, chapter 11 is just one of those ones that keeps coming back. I love the definition of faith in Hebrews. Hebrews 11, chapter uh, 11, verse 1 and 2. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, the people of old received their commendation. That word assurance could also mean substance, the foundation, the real thing. And so it's not just empty optimism to hope in God. And then the author of Hebrews in chapter 11 is going to bust out the stories of 16 people who stayed faithful and they held on to durable hope and by faith they pleased God even though they didn't necessarily see it coming, even though they didn't have all of the answers in the moment. Now I'm not allowed to preach on all 16 of those right now because I think, I think that some of you might want to go to lunch at some point. So we're just going to look at three real quick from the book of Hebrews. So if you want to skip on down to verse 7 in chapter 11. By faith Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this he condemned the world and became an heir of righteousness that comes by faith. Now that's a little zip drive. Right there, that's like a hyperlink that you're supposed to like click in your brain, and then it opens up that whole story of Noah. Maybe you've seen pictures of the story of Noah on like Sunday school walls. We love to put the story of Noah on Sunday school classrooms because it's got animals and rainbows and boats, and we don't think about the brutal facts of the story of Noah. Where God looked out at the world and said, there is so much brokenness and so much evil, we're just going to reboot this thing. How bad did it have to get to get to that point? And God tells Noah, Noah, I want you to build an ark, which uh, we think of as boat, but also kind of more means like a box. And and Noah has to, in faithful endurance, go build this thing. And you want to think about that process. Like, you know, God comes to me. I was was thinking about what would it take for God to tell me to like build an ark? It'd take a lot of clarity. I would really need to know it was God. And not just like the bad Chinese food that I had yesterday. Like, I would really need to know that it was God. And Noah gets that promise from God. And according to the Genesis narrative, he builds that for 120 years. That's a long time to spend on a project. That's a long time. Ben, you asked me to do a project for 120 years. I don't know, man. I don't know. And, And maybe you want to zoom out and say, okay, let's put it in perspective you know, Noah in the Genesis narrative is going to live a really long time, upwards of 700, 900 years, okay? So maybe we put that into kind of our context. That's still 12 to 15 years. 12 to 15 years, and I don't know if there were moments along that time period where Noah like threw the tools down and said, I just don't believe in a flood, man. I just don't know. That's, that's not recorded, but I can imagine the emotional journey that he goes through Of saying, I have to hold on to this promise from God? And what ends up happening? Well, God saves his family and all of humanity as a result of Noah's faithfulness. Let's skip down. One more verse. Verse 8. By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. He went out not knowing where he was going. God comes to Abraham, who lives in, at that time, what would become Babylon. And Abraham lives in this city, he's got his life, he's wealthy, and there's a little irony to his name, because the name Abraham means the father of many. And this guy named the father of many doesn't have any kids. And he's getting older And he is. He's an old guy at this point. And God says, I'm going to give you a child. God gives Abraham an impossible promise. You want to talk about the brutal facts of his reality? He's like, there's no way that this is going to happen. But he obeys God and takes one step after another. And I do think if you look at the whole story of Abraham, there's moments where he tries to force it. Where he tries to kind of force God's hand. And that doesn't end out well. That's when things go south. But when he's trusting and obeying God in that process, his faithful endurance pleases God and moves this story of the Bible forwards. Let's do one more. Abraham has a son named Isaac. Isaac has a son named Jacob. And Jacob will eventually have 12 sons, but number 11 is this punk kid named Joseph. And Joseph was the littlest of 11 brothers, which if that doesn't give you a complex, I don't know what will. But so he's the littlest of 11, and he has this dream that's a vision that everyone else is bowing down to him, that God is going to put him in this place of authority. And of course, all 10 of his brothers hear this, and they're going to gang up on him. And I think this is a tad extreme for family dynamics, and if this happens in your family, we need to have some counseling conversations. But they end up shipping him off, getting rid of Joseph, and he goes through this terrible story arc. If he gets sold into slavery in Egypt, he works his way up in the household, gets accused of a crime he doesn't commit, he's back in jail, and then overnight, God moves him from the prison To be the right-hand man to the Pharaoh, the most powerful man in the world at that time. And God moves him into that position of power in the world. And I don't know what Joseph's emotional journey was like on this. Maybe he was kind of just along for the ride. Maybe he gave up or forgot about that promise. But in the end, even if Joseph may have given up on God, God never gave up on Joseph. And his endurance, his hope was durable through all of that time. Now, here's what's interesting. The author of Hebrews doesn't talk about any of that, when it's going to mention Joseph. The author of Hebrews mentions this thing that we would kind of throw away if we were reading the book of Genesis. Here we go, verse 22. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites, and gave directions concerning his bones. Now, that's the part I leave out when I'm teaching the Sunday school lesson about Joseph. Like, we're going to color the rainbow coat, but we don't talk about the fact that when Joseph was going to die, he told his descendants, he said, take my remains back to the promised land. Now think about this for a second with me. Why does that matter? What do you know about Egypt and Egyptian history? You ever seen the mummy where they build these elaborate temples to the the higher, the political power, the royalty that die and pass away? Egypt was all over that. They love to build these kind of golden sculptures and preserve the bodies and all that, but Joseph is saying, I'm not buying into that. I'm not buying into this Egyptian materialistic world around me. My hope is in the promise of God and what God said was going to happen for our family. And so Joseph, by faith, looks forwards to what God is doing instead of getting sucked in to what's going on around him. In Hebrews 13, Hebrews eleven thirteen, it says, These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they have been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, They would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. These people, their story, the encouragement that we can take from it is where their focus was. They weren't focusing on the world that was around them. And there's a lot that would give us anxiety if we focused on the world around us right now. But the encouragement for Jesus' followers, the encouragement for us, is that God is doing something bigger and better, and that we have hope in a future country, in God's kingdom, in the fact that everything that Jesus said he was going to do, in coming back and making the world right, we believe that because when he said he was going to rise from the dead after dying on a cross, he did that. And so, you know, we're, we're expecting him to be two for two. Right now he's one, so we're expecting him to be two for two on this. So durable hope, when I was discussing it with one of our elders, he told me durable hope is like a fishing line. It's thin. You can kind of barely see it. You go to the same fishing spot over and over again. You put the line in. You lose hooks. It gets knotted. It gets tangled up. It's messy. But you keep going back. You keep going back. And that's that's how fishing works, like over and over again. Sometimes you get it. Sometimes you don't. I think that durable hope is like what the philosopher Nassim Nicholas Taleb proposed in his book, Anti-Fragile. I love this idea. I love this word. Anti-Fragile. Hope is the opposite of fragile. Now think about what's, what's fragile. You ever broke something glass before? I have. I broke lots of my mom's precious glass things when I was running around the house with my brothers. Something that's glass or something that's fragile, when you apply pressure, it breaks real easy. So what's the opposite of that? Well, it's, it's not something that's strong like rock, so the opposite of glass is not necessarily something strong like rock, because what happens if you take a jackhammer to concrete? It breaks when the pressure is applied. It might be strong, it might take more, but it still breaks. And what, what this guy proposes with the idea of anti-fragile is something that's anti-fragile is something that when the pressure's on, it gets stronger, not weaker. And instead of breaking, it becomes stronger, almost like a muscle that when you work it out, you tear, the fi- you tear that muscle tissue, and it comes back, it builds back. When we temper steel, we hit it and hammer it so that it will become strong. And I think that the human spirit is like this. And so when we encounter struggle and trouble and things are not going our way, this is not a moment to kind of throw our hands up in the air and say, oh God, where are you? Why have you given up on me? No. This is a time of testing and refinement as we go through struggle. Almost a training for us. Because this is what God has built us for. He's going to be with us through all of this to build us into being an anti-fragile person. So what do we do with this? How do we build durable hope? I've kind of thrown that phrase around. We really like it. It's a good thing. But what do I do about it today? Because I don't necessarily feel it right now. My my life is hard. It's maybe harder than it's been in a really long time. And how do I hang on to the unwavering faith while confronting the brutal facts? Well, here's, here's some ideas, okay? Number one, look back on what God has brought you through up to this point. We've all been disrupted before. We have all been through things in life up to this point. And God has never given up on us. Now, there's things that are part of our story that maybe we wish weren't there. But we've gone through them and they've shaped us. Over and over again, in the Bible, God calls Israel to look back on his track record. On his faithfulness and how he's been there for them. You can also look around. Don't get fixated just on what's right in front of you. This is something that's really hard for me. I get get obsessive about the things I can't control, and I'm like, man, if I could just fix that, my life would be better. And I just get fixated on that one thing. But if you take a step back and say, okay, maybe I can't control that one thing, but what can I control? What can I make a difference? You have the power about how often you're going to think about that thing that's upsetting you. And we have a lot more control often than we think. And so don't fixate on it, But take a step back and look at the bigger picture. The other thing is to look to your side. Who has God brought alongside you at this point to encourage you? And it's really crazy. This has happened over and over again in my life. Where at the exact moment I need them is when God brings someone who can encourage me. And that might take some initiative on your part. That might mean reaching out to have coffee with that person or a Zoom call or, you know, whatever kind of video chat, FaceTime. There's also this thing that people use to reach each other called a phone. And so you need to reach out maybe to that person. There's the old saying, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. And we're going to be a church that encourages each other. We're going to be, I'm not even going to say, you know what, that's not even the church we're going to be, that's the church we are today. We're going to encourage each other and be with each other to bear each other's burdens in this season. The other thing is to look ahead. Look at God's perspective. What is God doing? One of my favorite questions during this season, Ben and I have constantly asked each other, what does this make possible? What is God aligning ...that we could use for his kingdom? What is God going to use for his kingdom in all of this? And so maybe the question is not, what can't I do today? The question is, what is God making possible in the middle of all of this? And so the big idea here this morning, as we look at Hebrews... ...as we finish out this disrupted series, is to have a durable hope. And so I encourage you, you know, if you, you need some prayer... You need some encouragement in this. You know, our team would love to have that conversation with you. I'm going to be around after the service. Ben is going to be around. We would love to have that conversation with you. And maybe, you know, where you're at with Jesus is you haven't gone all in on this thing yet. You're like, man, I would like some hope. I would like to be able to believe those things. That's also a conversation we would love to have with you. You can do that with the online host. You can do that with one of our staff or elders. But don't let this moment just go by if you feel God tugging on your heart to make a decision. Let's pray. Father God, we trust you. Father, we want to hope in you and not in the things of this world. God, I pray that your spirit would remind us and encourage us. That you would build durable hope in us through this season. God, be at work in the middle of our disruption. And move us closer to you. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.